Voice of the Minnesota Twins, Dick Bremer, joining us today. Always good to chat with Dick Bremer, especially now where it's not that uh, other games don't mean as much, but when you're facing divisional opponents and you are fighting to get back to somewhere, 500, or maybe even make some of those front runners a little bit nervous with the Twins in their rear view, now would be the time when the Minnesota Twins are in that time. And, and of course, last night uh, uh, postponed. It'll be made up July 19th. Tonight, the Twins and the White Sox. Dick, good to have you on board today. I, uh, I, I you always look at this, and I imagine you do the same thing, going, okay, it's division time. Now's the time to fish or cut bait, I suppose, right? Yeah, and I think uh, over the years, at least my tenure with the Twins, I've always looked forward to the the mid to late season series with the White Sox because uh, those have always been interesting when both teams are good. And unfortunately, only one team has been good so far this year. But you're looking at a margin right now of 11 and a half games, and the Twins have now a three-game series in Chicago with last night's postponement. And then next week, another three-game series at Target Field. And if the Twins go four and two, and that's what needs to happen, minimum, right? I mean, if they draw even three and three, then the chances of the Twins getting back into this thing aren't very good. But if they go four and two and get the Chicago lead over the Twins trimmed back to single digits, well, then you got a chance in the second half of the year. So it's an important series. It's not going to be as fun as I was hoping it would be because uh, first place is not at stake here. But in a different sense, uh, the Twins' survival in the 2021 season might be uh, um, at stake here both uh, this week in Chicago and the next week at Target Field. And a big matchup to start things off tonight, right? I mean, Kenta Maeda and Jolito, I mean, that's about as good as it gets for these two teams right now. Yeah, and the Twins are hoping that they'll start to see the Kenta Maeda they saw just about every time out last year. And the Twins have handled Giolito, you know, fairly well. He's one of the top shelf pitchers in the game. That's why the White Sox are where they are and the Twins are where they are. Because the White Sox have had a lot of key injuries, too, like the Twins have. But the White Sox have had great starting pitching and the Twins have not. And we'll see if that continues. The Twins have a chance here, you know, for them to get back into it. Just to put it another way, uh, they need to win, and the White Sox need to start losing, and the Twins are in control of that here in this series. To that point, Dick, and maybe this is more of a philosophical uh, question, and, and, and we'd have to define maybe the way I'd phrase this to you, Dick, is uh, for, for what has plagued, I'll use the word plagued, plagued the Minnesota Twins that has led them to this record and this standing in the division is it is it uh, it's not as if maybe other teams in the division are immune to that meaning that if the twins kind of rise up and get stronger you know could other teams and I don't wish you know injury on other teams and things like that but you see what I'm getting at dick in the long haul of this year it's not like the other teams aren't immune to what has plagued the Minnesota Twins out of the gate or maybe not no i i i think the point you're making is is emphasizing uh, the pitching, if your pitching stays healthy and is good, you can withstand the injuries. And the Twins' uh, starting pitching has been you know, banged up a little bit. Pineda's been out. Maeda's been out. Barrios has been the only guy, really, that's been in the rotation constantly. Well, I guess Hap has as well. And Hap came uh, up with a good outing the other day. But you look at the White Sox, and then in the National League, you look at the Brewers. They've had a lot of injuries, too, but they've got great starting pitching with you know Burns and, and, and Woodruff 
and uh, uh, Peralta, uh, one, right. two, three in their rotation. Well, if, if you've got that, well, then you can survive a lot of injuries to other positions. But if you don't have that, and the Twins haven't to this point, it's really hard to lose the Buxtons of the world and people like that for any length of time at all. You look at Sunday's game where they defeated Cleveland 8-2, to and, and Dick, that gave you a little bit of a glimpse of how they won in 2019. And let's just face it, with the makeup what we're talking about, with the guys on the mound, they're going to need to have offensive like that, offense like that more times than not. Especially, you know, you look at how they blew that Brios start that was so good. I mean, when he's starting, they really need some offense. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the Twins took two out of three from Cleveland, and I know the standings won't support this. I think the Twins are better than Cleveland. I think their twins are better than Kansas City and Detroit. They just haven't played that way. There are some reasons for that. But you look at the the twins' uh, lineup, uh, even without Byron Buxton and some other injuries, the lineup has not been the issue. In fact, you could argue that the lineup has been kind of a a pleasant surprise in terms of run production, and you have to give guys like Kirilov and Larnick and Gordon, when he gets a chance to play, uh, some credit for that but it all comes down to pitching. We've known it for 150 years, and if the Twins can pitch better now in the second half of the year, and if they can take care of some business in the two series with the White Sox, they still have a chance, despite everything that's happened to them, they still have a chance to make this a fun summer in the upper Midwest. On an individual player's basis, Dick, and I know that when you watched videos of Andrelton Simmons, it was like watching The Wizard of Oz, back for those people that remember watching guys just making plays that that wow you. When the Twins uh, signed him, uh, A, Dick, you know, what what were they expecting him to do? Has he uh, been that guy? And I know he's not going to be a guy that's going to drive balls out of the park left and right, hit 300 and, and load up RBI columns. I get it. But uh, what is it that they, they ask of Andrelton Simmons? And can he, if he adds some bat, because we know what his glove can do, can he be a, a spark that can help flip a lineup around to the top? What about Andrelton uh, Simmons? Well, I think, you know, we've seen him from a distance before the Twins signed him. And, and you know, I think we accurately assessed him as a ball player. He's not going to hit 20 home runs. Uh, he might not hit 280. Uh, there are shortstops out there with better arms, uh, you know, maybe better range. But what we were impressed with, and we got this confirmed from the uh, Angels people I checked with, and I think we've seen it so far uh, this year, his instincts to play the game, to play that position are just off the charts. And we saw that the other day when, you know, he caught Eddie Rosario napping at second base. Uh, you know, his, his head is in the game all the time. The errors that he's committed, frankly, are kind of careless errors uh, that I think have stunned even him. Uh, he's been really good out there, and you know he'll be one of the guys the Twins are going to be forced to make a decision on when it comes to uh, the end of next month with the trade deadline coming up. If the Twins feel like they're in it, then they'll be glad to keep him, provided he stays healthy. If they feel like they're out of it, I can guarantee you as many injuries as baseball is seen in the first half uh, that's not going to diminish in the second half and there will be a contending team I would guess that would need a veteran shortstop and he might fill a need for somebody else the one thing that I like about him and 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 it adds to the frustration with some other twins hitters Andrelson Simmons realizes there are hits to be had to the opposite field mm-hmm. and he got three of them a few games ago one was to center 
One was to right center and one was down the right field line. And for uh, people who couldn't hit, who have appreciated those I've seen who can, uh, there are a lot of hits to the opposite field. And I wish some of his teammates would pay attention. It's interesting, too, because you mentioned the middle infield and Polanco made the move over to second base. With his contract situation, and you know we all like a Luis Arise at the at-backs, he takes it as well, and he could plug in right there in second base. Is that a guy, if the Twins become sellers, that if anyone wants him, that they would maybe sell? Because you know, he still is making a pretty hefty contract for the next couple of years. Yeah, and so is Kepler and Sano. I don't know that there's any market out there for Sano. I suspect there would be for Polanco. Um, I don't even know for Kepler, but they're all pretty I hate to say this because it's a lot of money to everybody else, but they're, they're pretty team friendly contracts. And, and so I, I think the twins, well, here's my hope. Let me put it this way. You know, there's a lot of talk about if the twins fall out of it and if they're in cell mode, are they going to blow the whole thing up? There's a reason that a lot of people, including me thought this team was well positioned to win another division championship. Uh, and, and those reasons you know, Barrios, Buxton, Polanco, guys like that, those reasons will be there again next year. So I don't know that Derek Falvey and Thad Levine are too anxious to blow it up because they want to contend next year. That was their goal when they got the job, to to be a perennial contender. And if, if you were to trade too many of these guys, well, then you'd be starting over again. And that's not what they said their mission statement was when they got the job. It's. It, I was just about to ask you that, so I'm glad you touched on it, Dick, and and, and Derek on that is that and leverage maybe not isn't the right word, but bargaining pieces because you got to get some. You have to have something with value to trade to also receive. We're talking about value here. It's funny. I was driving down the street the other day, and I won't name the business, but it's they're having I think a going out of business sale. Not that the twins twins are going to be around for the rest of the time, but I looked at it and I thought I will. I went, and I thought to myself, Dick, like. Well, I wonder how good their products are, though. I wonder how. <laughs> I wonder if that that jewelry is really high class jewelry or not. But <laughs> in that, that that's not unlike maybe a terrible example here, Dick. But that's kind of what it's about when you get to the trade deadline, isn't it? Well, if you've got known commodities and you're you feel like you're not contending, and let's just use Simmons as a case, uh, if you've got a shortstop that's in demand by some contending teams, what you want back are prospects. And it's really going to be complicated, I think, this year because these prospects didn't play at all last year. You, you, you'd like to think, okay, I've got a known major league commodity. Great point, Dick. Uh, Andrelton Simmons. I want a known minor league commodity as well, an A or a double-A guy that I know is going to be an impact player. Well, how do you determine that when they didn't play last year? You know, the, the, the type of year we had last year, the 60 games in the big leagues was a triumph. That was great. The minor leagues are going to take, and the minor leaguers are going, in my mind, to take years to recover from that. And again, let's circle back to Trevor Larnick and Alex Kirilov. What they've done, to me, is nothing short of remarkable. When you see some other top prospects, you know, Wander Franco right now for the for the Rays is struggling a little bit. Jared Kelnick of the Mariners was sent back to the minor leagues because he was struggling. But what these guys have done to consistently produce at above the norm, their batting averages are higher than the team's batting average, and hitting in the middle of the lineup, to me, that's the brightest spot so far in this twin season. Derek, that is a really good point. That, yeah. that, that's a perfect point. Right yeah, there's there. no question because, I mean, I, let's face it, 
you you look at guys like Kirilov and Larnik, we weren't expecting to see them probably till next year, and they were forced to come up. And, and the fact that they're doing is amazing. You know, along those lines, another guy as far as those huge prospects goes, and you mentioned Simmons. He it seemed like this contract was kind of a stopgap to get to eventually Royce Lewis, but that obviously was sidetracked with his ACL injury. I mean, have you heard any news on him? Because he certainly looks to be one of the future uh, pieces for the Twins. Yeah, and I feel really bad for him. I don't know him that well. I've been very cordial with him as he has with me. Uh, I haven't heard any news, which I will take as good news, but just uh, isolate on him now. He couldn't play last year because of the pandemic. Now he can't play this year because of the knee injury. He was considered one of the top prospects in the game, but everything that I just said about these top prospects not playing uh, last year, now you've got a guy who thankfully is young, He's a baseball player. He'll figure it out. But how much of a setback will back-to-back years being unable to play baseball have on the young man? And, and it's going to be up to him to, to figure it out. But he's got really two strikes against him in terms of having any short-term impact at the big league level because he's missed. he will have missed the last two years. It's about the, uh, it's about the pitching, obviously, when we start getting into the uh... – uh, the latter stages of the summer. Uh, Dick, I don't know what awes you in the game of baseball as you call these Major League Baseball games or or look at highlights from other ones, but you know when you get a guy like DeGrom putting up, I'd say putting up numbers, but actually it's the opposite, <laughs> putting up putting up lack down. of numbers, like golf, putting down yeah. numbers, yeah, putting down <laughs> numbers. Uh, are, are you in awe of, uh, what are you in awe of, Dick, uh, in today's game when you see uh, uh, production? Well, certainly DeGrom, how could you not be in awe of him? I'm going to wait and see and answer that a little bit because we're, we've had a mid-season correction in terms of you know pitching effectiveness with the uh, you know uh, enforcement of the uh, no foreign substance rule. So I don't know, frankly, how much what we've seen on the pitching side uh, is real. Uh, I'll be more convinced uh, uh, some of these guys, uh, if they're effective in the second half of the year, uh, given that the pitchers last year, you know, the top flight pitchers pitched 70, 80 innings, and that was it. And we haven't started the second half of the year yet. Are we going to back pitching side? Oh, go on ahead. The pitching side, you get you, you've got to, you've got to be impressed with Degrom and what the guys have done in Milwaukee, uh, Woodruff, uh, and, and a few others. But for the rest of them, uh, and I won't mention any names, but let's see if what we have seen from uh, some pitchers over the last year, year and a half, two years has been real or not uh, as they, if they're smart, won't be using the sticky stuff anymore. As a result, the spin rate will come back down and maybe they will be a, just a little bit more hittable. Derek and I were reminiscing yesterday, Dick, because we touched on Hector Santiago being the first, you know, that was ejected in a game, as you saw uh, with, with Seattle, and he's claiming, hey, he's rosin, you know, and the umpire's all checked, and it was inside and outside. But we were reminiscing about Necro, and uh, I said, what's happened to the Emery board, Dick? Where, where's, the, where's the Emery board gone? Well, I tell you what, I, we, of course, Tim Laudner's part of our broadcast crew, and he was not catching Joe Necro that night, but he caught Joe Necro during that season, and Tim admitted that, the Emory board had nothing to do with Joe Necro scuffing the ball. He was scuffing it, but he had some sandpaper, uh, you know, taped to, you know, his uh, glove hand and would take the glove off and rub up the baseball and scuff the baseball that way. It had nothing to do with the Emory board. He just used the Emory board to file his, you know, fingernails down because he was a knuckleball pitcher. But, um, you know, that was a pretty comical thing. And, 
you know, regarding Hector Santiago, he of course pitched for the twins a few years ago. I think the world of him is just a wonderful guy. And I don't know. I'll wait until they analyze what was the sticky substance in the glove. But I can, I can promise you this, that when they started enforcing it a week ago, uh, there were an inordinate number of new gloves, caps, and belts being used by pitchers in baseball (laughs) because that's where they were using (laughs) the stuff. And if they stopped using it, they had to get rid of all the equipment that had the stuff on it because that's, you know, those are the parts that are being checked right now. So I don't know whether it might be that Hector Santiago was using an old glove that had some pine tar in it or whatever. I don't know. We'll find out shortly, I suspect. But, you know, it would have been interesting last week to check and see how many pristine gloves were out there on the mound being used right. for the first time. <laughs> Big old barbecue burn of gloves and then things that are somewhere. Yes, that's right. That's exactly it. Uh, well, let Dick get going. Uh, you missed our conversation. I hope you haven't had lunch yet, uh, Dick. But towards the end of the week, uh, we talked about it as the Nathan's uh, hot dog eating contest, and and Derek said, you know, so seventy five is the record. Your your uh, popular Joey Chestnut uh, ate that last year in ten minutes. And, and Derek, you said you get grossed out by the wetting of the buns. Yeah, the texture though, you know, uh, that doesn't do it. So so Dick, uh, when you uh, if if you ever watch that hot dog eating contest, uh, does it make you hungry or does it make you sick? Well, I tell you what, I haven't watched it in years. Uh, okay, so the record's 75. Yeah. I'm guessing I've eaten 75 hot dogs in my life, okay? And I'm a baseball guy, and they've had them in the press boxes forever, right? Yeah. But I look at Joey Chestnut and their other customers. When I eat a hot dog, I'm happy, and you can see it in my face, right? Yeah. Watch the faces, how contorted they are. And if you're not eating, if you're not eating food for fun, why eat it? <laughs> it does. That's it so true. does look painful. Doesn't yeah. it? I mean, you know, it, it look. I won't even say what it looks like. His physical condition is, but my goodness, he does not look like he's enjoying his no. ten minutes of time. No, not at all. Yeah, to me, it's almost blasphemy. We think about no. This is very inside baseball here, but the late uh, Peg, who ran the 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 cafeteria at the Metrodome had the best hot dogs and pretzels. And I think between Larry Fitzgerald Sr. and myself, we may have done 75 in a weekend. I'm in just the, saying. In the press yeah, we, there, yeah. yeah, and I don't know about you, Derek, but when you come down now, they charge for the hot dogs. Yeah. I'm guessing you pay for it. But a lot of people who enjoyed Peg's hot dogs over the year, over the years ate them because they were free. Yes, yes. <laughs> it might, yeah. might have been why yeah. there was a time there I was down for every weekend home series and – yeah, yeah it, it was it was a nice perk of the gig. That's for well, sure. Well, that, that's always an announcer thing, isn't it, Dick? Uh, yeah. where, where's the best media food? Like mm-hmm. in all the stadiums you've been there, that's probably been a topic of conversation. Well, we haven't been able to eat media food even at Target Field the last year and a half. Wow. Uh, but, you know, as we traveled around, uh, I, you know, sad to say, and I don't mind paying, you know, they, they started charging 20 years ago, and that's fine as long as the food is good. But it really hasn't been very good. Target Field, it's great. Seattle, it's good. There are you know, some exceptions to the rule. But believe it or not, I, I've usually gone the, the concession route at the ballparks. And, uh, you know, of course, at Milwaukee, get some brats and all that. But uh, uh, the, 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 the media dining is not what uh, I think it is perceived to be by the fans. And so a lot of times I'll just go to the concession stands or eat a really big late lunch and try to get through the evening. Yeah, look at that. Well, you. you know what's good is what's going to be now known as the artist formerly known at TCF Bank Stadium for Gopher Games. So that that's good there if you ever – but uh, who knows what that's going to look I've like. I've been there as a fan. I've never been in the press box yeah. there, and I understand they're going to have a name change. But, yes. Uh, 
Um, you know, it, uh, it's, uh, we, uh, we've been able to travel in the past. Hopefully we'll be able to travel again and uh, maybe uh, uh, post pandemic, the press box food will get even better. <laughs> and we'll close on this then. What, what's the burger Dick that's named after you? Where's that? Uh, what is that again? Oh, uh, <laughs> it's a little family run restaurant here. That's about five minutes from my house, Linda's cafe and Rogers and, uh, and, you know, years ago, Bert had a promotion with Wendy's, and they had a Bert Burger. And as I was in there having breakfast one day, they, the owners, two women named Linda, uh, thought that I ought to have a menu item, and uh, it's called the Bramer Seventh Inning Stretch. And uh, we've decided, uh, as we've reminisced about it over the years, it's been on the menu for about ten years, I suppose. We're just glad that uh, they didn't use my first name as part of the menu. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dick Bremer, talking ball and food. What's better than food and baseball? Come on, that, that's Americana right there. Uh, Dick, thanks for the time as always, and we'll talk to you tonight. Good luck to the Twins uh, in this series. All right, talk to you next week. The great Dick Bremer joining us today. Uh, it's that's what it's about, Derek. It's food. And no, on my way to the city, sometime I have to stop by that little place in Rogers and check it out. Oh. So that's all that works, right? We have to go. I mean, that, that, that's right. That's and right on the, the way. I forget what it was. Was that a two two patties? Was that a two patty burger? We'll have to look it up. He, he Linda's told us, Cafe. It's right. worth it. I mean, it's just worth a stretch. Next How far is that from Freeport? Not too far. Okay. Well, Rogers, it's a Rogers Elk River right there. It's right, oh, on, the, yeah. right, right. on Maple Grove, kind of. Right in the ballpark. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> Quick time out. We'll come back. Uh, Twins, yeah, you're right. Kenta Maeda tonight and Lucas Giolito tonight. Nice. And and the Twins, you know, they're they're on a stretch of, of, of I think, it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in 24 consecutive games against divisional opponents, I think it's somewhere in that neighborhood they got a chunk here against divisional opponents. So I'm glad we talked a little bit about the, the bargaining chips, who might be someone that could be on the uh, the, the, the trading uh, block if, if the Twins are selling and not buying, which right now, hard-pressed to say why they wouldn't. And then the point Dick made about uh, minor leagues, uh, the, the, the guys coming up and doing what they're doing after last year was just, well, wiped out. It was wiped out. So, you know, these guys getting up to snuff to hit major league pitching uh, without having a, a large degree of instruction and, and, and time that they would have had. Derek, that's an impressive point. Look what's happening in the American Association. Kevin McGovern, by the way, the other day, just lights out double-A. Who knows if he has a couple more outings like that, Derek, in uh, in double-A for the Cardinals? The way the St. Louis is going? <laughs> Wouldn't shock me if, if, if this guy got a shot. So, I mean, you're seeing American Association into primarily double-A, because these guys, a lot of them played. They've got the, they've got to tell. We'll talk about that with quick time. Oh my goodness, look at the time fly. Uh, I quiz Derek coming up next. Jack Michael Show at 740 The Fan.